0: Yo, yo, it's Diggsies, baby, the podcast, episode number three. We have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to cover today. NFL preseason is over, the Yankees bullpen, the Dolphins might be trading for Deshaun Watson, Cam Newton just got released from the Patriots. We'll talk about Justin Fields, Trevor Lawrence, all out. AEW's pay per view is this weekend. We'll go over that real quick. But first, we need to start right here. And that is the dumpster fire that's going on over in Queens and the New York Mets. There it goes. All right. By now, if you're a baseball fan, you see what's going on. Uh, the Mets players. Specifically, Francisco Lindor and Javi Baez have been giving the fans the thumbs down signal since going back to like beginning of August, August 6th or whatever. And Javi Baez basically came out and said that the thumbs down jester during the games has been a message to the fans who recently booed him and other players' poor performance. And Sandy Alderson came out, he said that these comments, any justice by him or other players with a similar intent, are totally unacceptable, will not be tolerated. Steve Cohen came out and said, if we win together, then we're going to lose together, and the fans are really big part of it. In my case, they got to be better. I play for the fans. I love the fans. But if they're going to do that, they're just putting more pressure on the team. And that's not what we want. Now, let's be honest. How much more pressure can you put on Baez and Lindor when Lindor got a $340 million contract? He's batting 224. Javi Baez came over with the trade around July 30th. He's batting 210. Now, Baez is a free agent after this year. So, He's boys with Lindor. They're they're friends. Everybody has these dreams of Baez and Lindor up the middle for the Mets for the next 10 years. But after what Baez has done and getting on the fans nerve and, you know, getting on the bad side with the owner and the GM, you really think Javi Baez is going to come back? Like, do you honestly really think that? Now, hey, if Byers goes on a tear, you know, a 10 game hitting streak, you know, a few home runs helps the Mets win some games down the stretch, the fans will forgive him because fans are forgiving. But you know what? He severely hurt his chances of coming back to this team next year. And honestly, the Mets are cursed when you think about it because. How many times have we saw the big free agent signing coming over to the Mets and completely shitting the bed? Francisco Lindor this year, he's the latest example. Jason Bay, he was the best Power hitter, slugger, one of the best power hitter sluggers in Major League Baseball. He comes over to the Mets, he shits the bed. Looking back to the 80s, Vince Coleman was stealing like 80, 90 bases a season. He comes over to the Mets, he shits the bed. Bobby Bonilla, the Mets are still paying him a million dollars a year every July, Bobby Bonilla Day. Think about it. like Mike Piazza came over, he was great for the Mets. That's one, but that was a trait. Think about when was the last time the Mets signed a free agent and they they played well for the team. You have to go back to Carlos Beltran, Carlos Delgado, Pedro Martinez was pretty good for the team. But it's just, it's ridiculous to see that year in and year out, it's the same old Mets, the same Mets over and over and over again. Something happens and the franchise is cursed. You thought when Steve Cohen bought the team, things were going to change, but here we are end of August. The Mets have played horrible, horrible, horrendous baseball as of late. They're eight and eighteen in August. They're three and seven out of the last ten games, and they're completely out of. The, the playoff race. And it's going to take a miracle for the Mets to get back in the playoff race because they really don't have a shot at the wild card. And as of today, they're seven games back of the Braves. So that's a lot of ground to make up when tomorrow is September. So, time and time again, here we are. The Mets are blowing it, and their top players, their two stars, are giving it to the fans and antagonizing the fans when these fans are playing. Top dollar to come to City Field and watch you play and watch you completely lay an egg. Like I said, Baez is batting 210, Lindor's batting 224. So, you know what? Here's a good idea. You want, you know, the people who are coming, buying tickets, buying hot dogs, buying beers, paying your salary, you know what? Why don't we piss them off? Let, let's do that. We've we, we played horrible baseball the past month. Let's piss off the fans while we're at it. And It's completely ridiculous, and it just shows that's the Mets' way of doing things, and the Mets are cursed because, honestly, fans are going to boo, especially in New York. If you're playing sports in New York and you're not doing your job, the fans are going to boo. Looking back, Derek Jeter, when he was getting booed, when he had a 197 average and he was playing horrible, Jeter came out and said, I don't blame them. We would have booed ourselves tonight, too. It's hard to imagine being worse than what we were tonight. Put me at the front of that list. So that's someone that gets it. Derek Jeter has been a media darling Okay, for the Yankees. He was a great captain. He came out and said, you know what? We deserve to be booed. I understand why they're booing us. And you got Baez and Lindor saying, we don't want to be, but boo, boo you. We're going to boo you. It's completely ridiculous and it's absurd what they're doing now. They came out and apologized to the fans before today's game, but you know what? It's too late for that. And just the whole way of this happening and Baez never had to come out and say, we're doing that to get back at the fans. Him and Lindor could have kept it to themselves. It could have been their little secret. And if somebody said anything, just said, oh, we're doing it like the thumbs down guy, the thumbs down Mets fan guy that happened, what, three, four years ago. They could have said they were doing it for that. So it's completely ridiculous. And it's just another season, another story of the Mets being the Mets. And it's... It's insane that every year, no matter what, this happens to the Mets. Just look at Jacob deGrom. He was having an MVP season before the All-Star break. Now, we haven't seen him since. He's not going to be back to September 15th when, at that time, it's going to be too late. But I'll tell you one thing. If Byers and Lindor want to put this to bed, win. Winning solves everything. Go on a run the next five weeks, win, get back into the playoff picture, and honestly, that will solve all your problems. But once again, the Mets are being the Mets. Well, hey, the Yankees are being the Yankees. They were on an amazing run. They won 13 wins in a row. They lost the last three games. But hey, what do you expect? You win 13 in a row, you're not going to win them all. Giancarlo Stanton has been on fire like he was in the playoffs last year. Home runs in six out of the last 10 games played, and everything looks good for the Yankees, but there is one thing that I'm worried about, and that's the bullpen, and I'll tell you why. Because right now, the Yankees' bullpen isn't where it needs to be. That Currently, the Yankees are seven games back of the Rays. At this point in time, August 31st, we honestly have to sit here and say, you know what? The division is probably out of reach. Hopefully, the Rays might falter. We'll get close to the division. Maybe that final three games in October, the last three games of the season, when the Rays come to the stadium, maybe we'll have a shot if we can get three games out, sweep the Rays. But you know what? Right now, the Yankees should be focusing on securing the top wildcard spot. Having that wild card game at the stadium, getting Garrett Cole ready, full rest so he can pitch that game and get the Yankees into the division series. But like I said, the bullpen is where I'm scared right now. Chad Green blew the save on the 29th versus Oakland. Aroldis Chapman has been shaky. Before that, Britton blew a save in the league in August. Currently, he's now on the 60-day IL, so forget him in the playoffs. Wandi Peralta was playing great, pitching amazing, didn't let up an earned run in 11.2 innings in August, and he just got the loss last night, but even after that loss, he still has a 0.71 ERA in August. So, Peralta has been one of our better relievers, and you know, my my favorite reliever on the roster, Jonathan Loisica, he's been the best. Since July 27th, he has 17.2 innings pitch, one earned run, 19 Ks, a 0.51 ERA, opposing teams are batting 194 against him. Five walks, he had the one blown save against Kansas City. But you know what? I, I feel I trust Luizica more than anybody in that bullpen right now. And honestly, going into the playoffs... The way I feel right now, you gotta play the hot hand. You gotta play matchups. If LeWiseker comes in in the eighth and mows the bat is down, let him come out in the ninth. Have Chapman and Green warming up. Vice versa. Have them ready in case he gets into trouble. Make your opponent's guess. If you got some lefties coming up in the ninth, let Chaplin get the job, but keep somebody ready in case he gets in trouble. Chapman worries me. We've seen it time and time again, especially in the playoffs. We saw it when he let up that home run to Altuve. We saw it against the Rays with Mike Brasseau when he hit that home run after a 10 pitch at bat, you know, and I don't know if I fully trust Aroldis Chapman in the ninth inning. We have other arms. We have young guys that want to prove their point. What about Lewis Heal? Put him in the pen. Let him pitch an inning or two. Get creative, Aaron Boone, because just throwing Aroldis Chapman out there in the ninth inning hasn't worked for us the past few years. We need to be creative. We got momentum. The Yankees are playing good. 13 in a row. The three-game losing streak I'm not worried about. When you win 13 in a row, you're going to have a little low. This is all low. Let's get healthy in September. Let's keep the bats hot and let's use September to figure out the bullpen. Because honestly, if you can figure out the bullpen, you can get Chapman, Luizica, Green, you get those guys shutting down the 7th, 8th, ninth inning, the Yankees are going to be a hard out in the playoffs. Let's get the number one wildcard spot locked up. Let's beat the Red Sox or Oakland, whoever it may be in the wildcard game. You can have Garrett Cole come out, throw seven strong innings, get Cook, Green, Chapman, whatever combo you want to do, shut down the game. We get into the division series and then we could start doing damage. But you know what? If we get into that game, a winner go home game, and you have Chapman on the hill at the end of the game to close out the game, I'm going to be sitting on the edge of my seat and I'm not going to be comfortable about that. So let's figure this out in September. We have playoff baseball coming up unless something crazy happens when the Yankees get knocked out of it. I doubt that will happen. I saw today they have a 93% chance to make the playoffs. The Yankees will be playing October baseball. I'm sure we could all feel comfortable saying that. Let's figure out the bullpen. Let's get healthy. Let's get cold. Good rest, get him on a nice rotation so he's ready. Game one of the wild card, and let's figure out the bullpen issues. All right, NFL preseason is over, and we really haven't talked about the Giants in the first two episodes, so let's get to the Giants. And the first thing I want to talk about is the preseason game yesterday against the Pats. Daniel Jones. Bad interception. Horrible interception in the red zone. Uh, they were actually on the one-yard line, third and goal, throwing across his body, totally missing Evan Engram. The ball wasn't even close. It pretty much hit the corner in the numbers. And honestly, it's this has been Daniel Jones's problem since he became the quarterback, since his rookie year. It's day one type shit. You can't throw across your body. In the opposite way, you're running because the defense is running with you and you're throwing it right into the defenders. And he almost had another interception at the end of the second quarter. The ball hit the corner in the hands and that, that easily, could, he easily could have had two interceptions. Now, he made a nice pass to Caden Smith at the end of the second quarter uh, for a touchdown. So, it's always Daniel Jones. He's hot and cold. He makes bonehead mistakes. He fumbles. He throws interceptions, but then sometimes he looks great. And like I said, it's been Jones's problem his entire career. 22 interceptions, 29 fumbles in 27 career games. And Jones really needs to step up this year because if the Giants are going to go anywhere, it's Daniel Jones. But going back to that play, the interception he threw in the red zone, you got to think that it's a bad play call by Jason Garrett because like, why not run it in? Jones is a big guy. Why can't Jones do a QB sneak? Why can't you do maybe a read option? Now, I understand that if Saquon was back there, not Booker, Jason Garrett probably would have ran the ball up the middle to get the one yard, but... Like I said, haven't we learned anything from the seahawks Pat Super Bowl when Russell Wilson threw an interception from pretty much the same spot? But like I said, Saquon isn't 100% healthy. You can't count on Saquon to carry the offense early on in the season. So the Giants are going to go as far as Daniel Jones will take them. If he takes the next step, the Giants will go 10-7, and seven, possibly 11-6. I think that gets them in a wildcard spot. If not, you're looking at eight and nine, nine and eight. Personally, I think that Daniel Jones will take the next step, but Jason Garrett needs to sit him down and be like, you need to stop making these stupid plays. It's, It's your third year now. Okay. You're not a rookie anymore. You had the great rookie season amazing rookie season. I think he had 24 touchdowns, 12 interceptions. He was lighting it up. Last year, he took a step back, 11 touchdowns, 10 interceptions. This needs to be his coming out party. And I really think that Daniel Jones can take the next step as long as he gets rid of these turnovers and these fumbles. And you, the Giants gave him weapons. You gave him Kenny Galladay. You gave him Kendarius Tone, Tony. Now, Galladay and Tony haven't been on the field much at practice. So, in the beginning of the season, the start of the season, it's going to come down to Shepard and Slayton. And you know, Slayton has the goods. Shepard has the goods, and I think Shepard will have a big year. You know, Daniel Jones and Kenny Galladay, they haven't had the chance to develop chemistry in camp because Galladay hasn't been playing. Now, Evan Engram's hurt. He left the game Sunday with a calf injury, so Dave Gettleman signing Kyle Rudolph to be the backup tight end looks brilliant right now because you know Kyle Rudolph can get the job done, especially in the red zone, so it's going to be very interesting to see. Like I said, Saquon's not going to be a hundred percent ready to go to week three, week four. So the beginning of the season is going to be tough. You got the Broncos to start the season off. Then I believe they go to Dallas. So it's going to be interesting to see how the season starts. And another thing that worries me, like I'm high on the Giants this year, but I have doubts because another thing that worries me is they're pretty much remaking the offensive line after. The preseason's over. They just made a trade. They traded B.J. Hill for Billy Price, and they got a very young line. You got Andrew Thomas, left tackle last year. He d- didn't look great. You got Shane Lemieux, Matt Pert, if he wins the job over Solder, and the rumors are they're looking for other offensive linemen, and I don't think you're going to get a plug-and-play great starting offensive lineman right now. You- you're going to get then. So I don't know what this guy Billy Price has. I don't know what he's going to do. Maybe it's just for depth, but the line needs to figure it out. And them remaking the offensive line and this so late in the preseason, nine days before the season starts, worries me. But on the defensive side, you got to like what you see. Honestly, I feel like the Giants have a top five secondary. You got Bradbury, Peppers, Logan Ryan, Xavier McKinney should be healthy all year long. Julian Love, they added Adoree Jackson. Darnay Holmes should take the next step. You got Leonard Williams, who's a beast up front. Uh, Ojari on the edge. Lorenzo Carter. Blake Martinez is a great middle linebacker. And In passing situations, I'd love for them to put McKinney and Love down low at linebacker because we saw what McKinney could do in Alabama. We saw what Love has been able to do with the Giants. So secondary-wise, I think that's the Giants' strength. Bradbury was locking people down last year. Julius Peppers is great. Xavier McKinney should take the next step. He only played half a season last year. So I like the defense. I really like what the Giants have on the defensive side. I would like it if we had maybe one more edge rusher. Hopefully, a jury could get the job done this year. Lorenzo Carter could look a little bit better. But all in all, I love the secondary. I love the weapons that Daniel Jones has on the offensive side. We just need the offensive line to play good. They don't need to be great. Be good. Barkley comes back 100% healthy. We see the Saquon that we know he can be. Daniel Jones cuts down the turnovers, and you're looking at a team with Joe Judge's coaching and his the tangibles that Joe Judge can bring to the team. You're looking at a team that could go ten and seven, maybe eleven and six on the high side, and get one of those last wild card positions. Are they going to win the division? Probably not. You got Washington, who's tough. If Dax is healthy, you know Dallas will be there. But you know what? There's a really good shot that. NFC East can have three playoff teams because I could see Dallas making the playoffs. I could see Washington make the playoffs. And if things go right, I could see the Giants making the playoffs. The Eagles, no shot. No shot. The Eagles are a dumpster fire. They're like the Mets in baseball. But one thing that has intrigued me is other than the Buccaneers and the Chiefs to win the Super Bowl, the most popular bet at DraftKings Sportsbook is the Giants to win the NFC East. So obviously I'm not the only one with high hopes for the Giants. Hopefully they get the job done. Hopefully they do everything I just went over and it will be an exciting season for the New York football Giants. Now, Looking around the league, the big news that dropped today, the New England Patriots have released Cam Newton and they're going with Mac Jones to be their starting quarterback in his rookie season. And honestly, I'm telling you right now, Stories might come out why this happened, this, that, and the other. I'll tell you right now why it happened. When Cam Newton messed up, he messed up the COVID protocols. He missed three practices, and Mac Jones took over most of the reps. The team took to him. Belichick looked like. Look, look Belichick liked what he saw. And. Even week three against the Giants, Cam Newton finished two of five, 10 yards and interception. Jones, on the other hand, 10 for 14, 156 yards and a touchdown. So Mac Jones looked great against the Giants and he looked great all preseason on throws 10 yards downfield. He had a 96.8 PFF grade, which was first among quarterbacks all quarterbacks in the preseason, Mac Jones had the best grade on throws more than 10 yards down the field. And people were saying it all day today. If you were listening to the news, sports talk radio, everyone kept saying the best thing about Mac Jones is he doesn't make the same mistake twice. And when you're playing on a team that is coached by Bill Belichick, that is a great trait to have. You don't make the same mistake twice. Bill Belichick loves you. And hey, we're going to see what the kids got. It's going to be exciting time over there in New England. The fans should be happy because they have their quarterback of the future. When Cam Newton came in last year, you knew he wasn't going to be the quarterback of the future. So now you got Tom Brady's replacement. He didn't directly replace Brady. That was Cam Newton. So that should take a little pressure off Mac Jones. But hey, Mac Jones is a winner. He has the pedigree. He's coming from Nick Saban's system. Belichick and Saban are friends, so I'm sure Mac Jones will be just fine. Now, looking at the AFC East and whole, Josh Allen is now the oldest quarterback in the AFC East at just 25 years old. You got Tua at 23, and you got Zach Wilson, Mac Jones at 22. Now, talking about other rookie quarterbacks, Justin Fields, I've been saying all along how much I loved him. His final preseason stats, 30 of 49, 276 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions. He also rushed for 92 yards on the ground. And the word is that he's gained a lot of respect from the veterans in Chicago's locker room. Now, as of right now, Andy Dalton is still the starter. But you know what? I guarantee you by week four, five, six, Justin Fields will be starting in Chicago. He's too good not to. Now, the first round pick of the draft this year, Trevor Lawrence, he had an almost perfect game this weekend. 11 for 12, 139 yards, two touchdowns. And the big news coming out of Jacksonville, they traded away Gardner Minshew to the Eagles. So that tells me two things. One, The Eagles don't have that much trust in Hurts and Joe Flacco because they had to bring in another quarterback. And two, Urban Meyer wants Lawrence to know it's his job. It's going to... We all knew all along it's going to be Trevor Lawrence's job. But you know what? If he struggles early on in the year, he doesn't have anybody breathing down his neck. The backup quarterback now, I believe, is CJ Bethard. So Trevor Lawrence is the man in Jacksonville. He almost had a perfect game. Every game in the preseason, he's gotten better, better, and better. And with Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, and Mac Jones poised to start, it will mark only the fourth time since 1950 when at least three rookie quarterbacks started the team's opener. The last time that happened was in 2012 with Andrew Luck, RG3, Russell Wilson, Ryan Tannehill, and Brandon Whedon. Remember him? He wasn't that well on the Cleveland Browns. Now, another rookie quarterback, Trey Lance, they were saying that he might be splitting snaps with Jimmy G to start the season. He didn't look great in week three. He's going to miss a week with a chip in his finger. And you have to think that if he didn't have that injury, Would the 49ers have cut Jimmy G and let Lance take the job? Because it would have saved them $24 million in guaranteed money if Jimmy G wasn't on the roster on week one. So I believe that that's another situation like in Chicago. Trey Lance will sit for a little bit, but at the end of the day, it's going to be Trey Lance's job. And there is a lot of young stars, rookie quarterbacks. This year, and it's going to be very exciting to watch. Trevor Lawrence in Jacksonville, Zach Wilson with the Jets. Zach Wilson has looked spectacular this offseason, this preseason. You got Justin Fields in Chicago, Trey Lance, and it's going to be very exciting to watch. Mac Jones in New England. Now, there's one guy who's a rookie quarterback that I want to talk about, and He's with the Bucs. Now, Tom Brady looked great, 11 for 14 this week, 154 yards, a touchdown. Tom Brady's not going anywhere. He's the GOAT, all-time great. He's the man in Tampa Bay. But looking into the future, I really, really think that Kyle Trask, when we look back on this draft, and right now we're talking about Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Trey Lance, Justin Fields, Mac Jones, no one's talking about Kyle Trask. When we look back, On this draft class, I'm telling you right now, Kyle Trask will be one of the top five quarterbacks in this draft class. Now, I know that I only just named five. He's the sixth. But I don't want to go and say top three because I really think that Trevor Lawrence is going to be a great pro. Justin Fields, I I like Zach Wilson, Mac Jones. I like these guys. But The one guy nobody's talking about that they will be talking about in the future is Kyle Trask. This week he went 12 for 14, 146 yards and a touchdown. Every week he's looking more and more comfortable in the pocket. Now he has good arm strength. He has great touch on the deep ball, which is good for Tampa's offense in the future with downfield threats like Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, Antonio Brown. He has good size. He did miss easy reads and blitz protection in college. He threw into coverage. Led receivers into traffic sometimes, but he's gonna learn from the GOAT. He's gonna learn from Tom Brady. And honestly, him sitting behind Tom Brady for a year or two is gonna do wonders for his career. When he's ready to take over the buck starting job, I really think that Carl Trask is going to be an excellent pro. And I'm telling you right now, look out for Carl Trask in the future. Now. Another starter was announced down in New Orleans. Jameis Winston will be the starter for the Saints. He went 16 for 22, 219 yards, three touchdowns, one interception in the preseason. All along, you knew Jameis would win the starting job. Uh, Taysom Hill's a good player, but he's just that, a good player. He's not so much a good QB. And Taysom Hill can give you something else other than playing quarterback. He can line up in the Wildcat wide receiver, tight end, etc. you know, where if Jameis was the backup, he's being wasted on the bench. So I really think Jameis Winston will have a good year. He took a step back last year. He sat behind Drew Brees. He learned, you know, coming into the NFL when Tampa Bay took him number one, Jameis Winston was going to be the next big thing. We saw what he did with Florida State when they won the national championship. He has the talent. He has the tools. He threw a lot of picks in Tampa. I think he learned from Drew Brees. And man... Can he sling it? Did you see the passes he threw in the latest preseason game The Callaway? Just he threw some great passes down the field. The Saints are going to have a down the field passing attack for the first time since Drew Brees was in his prime. Because let's be real, the last few years, Drew Brees couldn't get the ball downfield. So I think it's going to hurt Jameis that Michael Thomas is going to miss the first six to eight weeks. But you know what? I think Jameis Winston will end up just fine, and I think he'll be the Saints starter quarterback for a good four or five years. I, I, I think Winston, we're going to see Winston shine down there in New Orleans with Sean Payton and the Saints. All right, now we are joined by Yo-Yo, it's Digsy's baby, Dolphins expert, Jerv. Jerv, what's up, buddy? Digsy, what's going on, man? Not much, man. So there's a lot of news coming out of Dolphinstown and, and down in Houston. Uh, so rumors are that there's a deal in place. They're just working out compensation right now that Deshaun Watson will be traded to the Miami Dolphins how you feeling about that
1: oh man it's not happening that's this this story has taken on a life of its own but if you look back to the, the writer from yahoo yahoo.com who who broke this story basically figured out it was the dolphins and he says this on a on a radio show the following day because of process of elimination he deduced that it was the dolphins he had a source that said things are moving And then reached out to the four finalists, the teams, Panthers, Eagles, Dolphins, and some others. And they all denied it that they were involved and the Dolphins gave no comment. So he deduced that it must be the Dolphins that are, are in play. But he says that he, he has no confirmation, no information that the two teams have spoken recently. So I just think the timing is crazy. um, And I just I just don't see it
0: happening. Now, There's on no Sunday, way. Drew Rosenhaus was on a Miami sports talk show, and he said that he wouldn't be surprised to see Deshaun Watson playing for the Miami Dolphins week one. Now, Rosenhaus isn't Watson's agent, but he's saying that he's hearing the rumblings, and Stephen Ross, the Dolphins' owner, supposedly really wants him, but then Brian Flores just came out and said that he wants high-character players for his team. Right. Yeah,
1: that that is that is interesting. Um, Drew Rosenhaus is making a comment. I I don't really know how to how to feel about that, but definitely definitely intriguing. I thought, um, there, you know, I thought it definitely had some legs once the after the preseason game against Cincinnati on Sunday, Slow had a chance to kill the rumors, and he didn't. He didn't. Um, so, I thought that was a little bit interesting, but it is standard for him. He never talks about these things. So, I don't want to look too much into it, uh, but I will say that this story has, I mean, it's taken on a life of its own. It has grown. Uh, every few hours, there's something else coming out. So, you, you you referenced the Stephen Ross. He really wants it. He's pushing. I also saw um, there was something about how there's a disconnect between the front office and the coaching staff, but the Dolphins media just sent out a letter to the to the media, the beat writers and stuff, basically denying it. Stephen Ross is, is not involved. He supports to He loves to. Uh, so I don't know what to make of it. I, I think my best guess is that the Dolphins made an offer. How long ago? Who knows? But a while back, probably before training camp, made an offer that is. Still currently the strongest offer on the table. They may have not pulled it back, but I I find it hard to believe that they are in ongoing negotiations back and forth finalizing some deal. I mean, Tua has had a great preseason. He looks great. He he has command of the offense. He's finally healthy. And I will say this. Nobody – Dolphins fans, Dolphins Nation – loves nobody more than they love Tua. We yeah. love Tua.
0: You guys, you guys we believe. That, that's been your number one goal for the past you know, three going three years back. You stockpiled all the number one draft picks so you could get to
1: Exactly. And we tanked for Tua and we won too many games and then he forced us anyway. It's like, you know, this has been written in Destiny. That's how that's how we feel. So last year it was a little bit of a gut punch. He has he didn't look great, but he won. And you can't say that about Deshaun Watson. He is, uh, you know, do I think he's as skilled as Tua? I mean, um, the two is as skilled as Deshaun. No way. You know, obviously that would be an upgrade just on the field, physical skills. But, you know, Tua even without a great season, I get it. He has had a great defense, but he is a winner. He has proven that. And last year he was not healthy. I find it funny this year. You know, Burrow has not had a great preseason. Granted, no regular season games are going on, but everyone talks about, oh, you can't look into it. He's coming off a major injury. You got to give him time. All these things. Nobody said that about Tua. No. And he was without an off season basically because of COVID. So I just think we have to just relax. It's Tua's team. I find it hard to believe that. Deshaun Watson will
0: be in, in the Dolphins uniform yeah, and anytime he, soon. And for a team with playoff aspirations, because, you know, the Dolphins are right there in the playoff hunt this year. They should make the playoffs to, you know, change your roster at the quarterback position nine days yeah. before the season. That's a little crazy. And like you said, Tua has had a good preseason, 24 for 34, 282 yards, one touchdown, one interception. They did help him out with weapons. They signed Will Fuller. Eight touchdowns last year for the Texans. Drafted Jalen Waddle in the first round, joining up with Devante Parker. They got a pretty good wide receiver core. Gasecki at tight end. I think Tua will take the next step this year.
1: Yeah, and I—I I, I mean, I think it's better than than a good wide receiver room. You know, people forget Albert Wilson. Not that he's really done anything spectacular in his career hasn't had a big year but he had a a year where he was breaking out two three years ago before a pretty major injury he opted out last year because of covid and i can tell you he has had the most impressive camp probably out of any of the any anybody in the wide receiver room he's been he's been great um and the cuts aren't fully announced yet but we restructured jakeem grant's deal so if there's a way to get jakeem grant Albert Wilson, Jalen Waddell on the field at the same time. That speed that just – I don't see how a defense could really match up with it.
0: Yeah, and, you know, you know, two, two is an accurate quarterback. You know, he could get the ball downfield accurately. So, you know, and on the defensive side, I feel like they got one of the best secondaries in the league. You know, Xavier Howard, Byron Jones, McCordy the, behind them. You know, I think yeah. they had a really good you – know, up front, I don't – you know, I, you could probably tell me more, but with, you know, Agba, Wilkins, Rayquon Ra- 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 Davis, you know, I don't know. Jalen Phillips. Jaylen, yeah, don't forget Jaylen.
1: about the rook, J- Jalen Phillips. Um, you Adam, know, he was out of Miami, he, right? Right. And Raquan Davis stuffing up the middle. I mean, he had an incredible rookie year. We expect him to make a, a big leap in year two. Um, Jenkins, Adam Butler from New England, uh, Wilkins we mentioned. I mean, this is a this is a really deep defensive line. I don't know. Um, you know, we'll see, we'll see how Phillips uh, develops if he can be that edge rusher that we need opposite. Agba. But I mean, we are really excited about, about the defense in particular. I think if the offense can, um, can, can make, make a jump, make a leap, if we could see to do what what we think that he's going to do this year, this could be a, this could be a special year for us. And, And remember special for us is we make the playoffs and win a game. That's a, (laughs) <laughs> I think that's a special year. I mean, this is year three of a rebuild. We've exceeded expectations the first two years. Yeah, now great, a head coach,
0: great head coach.
1: Great head coach. Great, finally. You know, I mean, after Sperano and, I mean, Juan that Cam Cameron, I mean, we feel been, you know, it's been a while since since you feel really good about about the head coach. And I don't think there's any debate that he is the right guy for us
0: week one, man, it's going to be exciting to avert oh. his backup Mac Jones at new England to oh, Alabama man. products. I can't wait. And don't, don't forget
1: in the offseason, Jalen Waddle was asked the question leading up to the draft, which quarterback do you prefer? Cause you played with both. And he said, Mac Jones. Did he really? So, yeah. He, um, both before both he was be, drafted before he was drafted. Okay. Right. Okay. They asked him, and, and he answered. So, um, who knows? That was his quarterback. He's trying to hype him up and get drafted and all that. But, uh, but I'm sure you know Twitter was was blown off over it. I'm sure I'm sure Tua read it and saw it, and uh, they're excited to to go up and prove something. That's for sure.
0: Yeah, looking at the beginning of their schedule, the first seven games, there's no reason why they shouldn't go five and two. You got at New England, that's a winnable game. Versus Buffalo, figure okay, you could lose that, and yeah. you got at Vegas, Indy in in Miami, that's two wins. At Tampa yeah. Bay, give them an L there, but then against Jacksonville and then Atlanta. That's five and two the way I'm looking at it, maybe even six and one.
1: Yeah, you, ha- you know, that, that's a good point. Uh, you, you, have to, you have to win those games early because the last two years, last year in particular, you know, we had a great year. Obviously, we know we got destroyed in Buffalo that killed the season. We didn't show up, but we started out one and three. The year before when it was tanked, you know, we're tanking supposedly, but you know, you go however many weeks before you get a win. Oh, and you know, so that has been something that has, I don't want to say plagued because expectations were always low, but both years we started off really slow and I'm really interested to see how Flores team this year. Um, How they how they change that uh, and how they get off to a fast start, because you got to you got to beat Vegas Indy. who knows quarterback situation. Hilton might be, you know, um, still out. You have to you got to win that game, too. So if you win the games, you're supposed to. And then just like last year against the Rams, you, you know, you sneak a couple that maybe you aren't supposed to. That's how you get it done.
0: Yep. You think they win the division? They take over Buffalo?
1: Oh man. I think we're probably, I I would say this. I think it depends. It's cliche, the quarterback play, but does Josh Allen come back to earth a little bit? If he doesn't, then I just don't see how, I just don't see how you stop that team. I mean, Stefan Diggs. if there was a better acquisition for a team in the last couple of years, I, I don't know one because that just changed that team completely. Obviously Josh Allen's development, but Stefan Diggs allows Cole Beasley to be a true slot, a number three, and it it just helps everybody. And I mean, that team is, that team is really tough. So, yeah, you know, I think we'll split.
0: You split the Buffalo games.
1: Yeah. I think we'll get one early on early in the year at home week two. I think if, I mean, if there's a game, that's the one, that's the one we can take last year. Even we had all kinds of issues early on. Um, you know we hung in there we played terrible we lost byron jones early no and we had our rookie no igbenagany trying to uh cover digs it was it was pretty pathetic but um even with that we hung in there one possession game so i think this year you know healthy way more depth um all our players with another year of development i think i think this could be the year that, that we at least split
0: all right All right. Well, there you have it. Hearing it from our uh, Dolphins insider. Uh, We look forward to speaking with you throughout the season and uh, nine days. All Some football. Thanks for having me. I can't wait. All right, Jerv. Talk to you later. All right. Bye. All right, breaking NBA news. Ben Simmons has requested a trade from the Philadelphia 76ers. He says that he will not report to training camp. He will not play for the team this year. And it's looking like he wants to go to the West Coast. It says here that he's eyeing the three California teams as landing spots. There's four California teams. You got the Clippers, the Lakers, the Sacramento Kings, and the Golden State Warriors, but I'm sure we could all assume that he doesn't want to go to Sacramento. Now, the Lakers, I really don't think that's an option. They made a lot of moves this offseason. They made the trade for Russell Westbrook. They brought in Mello. They brought in Rajon Wando, Dwight Howard back, Kendrick Nunn, Kent Bazemore, Malik Monk. Um, A bunch of guys. They, 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 their roster is already stacked. So I don't think the Lakers are a landing spot for Simmons. I don't think they can make it work with the cap. First and foremost, the Clippers. I don't know. I, I don't know what their financial situation is like. Kawhi's coming back. You got Paul George. I don't know if the Clippers can work, but I do think the Warriors can work. Okay, They had two first round picks in this year draft. Jonathan Kaminga, Moses Moody. You got James Wiseman for last year. I'm sure the 76ers don't want Wiseman because they already have Joel Embiid, but who knows? Maybe they do. So I think the 76ers and Warriors can work out a trade with those young stars, maybe a few picks. But the question is, do the Warriors want Ben Simmons? I think Ben Simmons will make the Warriors an even better team, especially the way the Lakers have their team stacked right now. The clip is a good Denver, Phoenix. We just saw what they did. You know Utah's going to be there. I think the Warriors, if they get Simmons, they might be one of the top favorites in the West. You put out a small ball lineup with Draymond Green, Ben Simmons, Curry, and Wiggins, and Klay Thompson, that sounds pretty good. And, you know, Ben Simmons is afraid to shoot the ball, but if he spends some time with Steph Curry and Klay Thompson, you know, they know how to shoot the three ball. They they might teach him a thing or two. But, hey, breaking news right now, as we were just recording that last segment with Jerv, Ben Simmons has requested a trade from the 76ers. He's not going to report the training camp in a month. All right, more big college football news. After a few weeks ago, it was announced that Texas and Oklahoma will be joining the SEC starting in 2025. Last week, the ACC Big Ten and Pac-12 came out and announced that they will start an alliance. What that means is they will be having non-conference games against each of the conferences every single year. So when the college football playoff starts teams from the ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12, they'll boost their chances of making the college football playoff because they'll be playing a harder strength of schedule. In football, it's going to work out great. We're going to get rivalries like Ohio State, USC. We're also going to see potentially Clemson, Ohio State every single year for college basketball. We're going to see games like UCLA at Duke, Michigan at Oregon, North Carolina at Arizona. So there's a lot of excitement Opportunities with this alliance, and honestly, I feel like it's definitely going to help when the college football playoff expands to 8 to 12 teams. You're definitely going to get 4 to 5 SEC teams in there, and the rest will be from the ACC Big 10 Pac-12 Alliance. And some years you'll get some from the non-major conferences like UCF a few years ago or Coastal Carolina uh, last year. So moving forward, the ACC Big 10 and Pac-12 will have an alliance. Now, because Texas and Oklahoma is leaving the Big 12, I truly feel like that conference is going to be totally blown up, disbanded, what have you. So there's Baylor, Iowa State, University of Kansas, Kansas State, Oklahoma State. Texas Christian University, Texas Tech, and West Virginia on the table to get added to these other conferences. Now, right off the bat, the ACC has 15 teams in that conference. They have one spot left. I truly believe that West Virginia should go to the ACC. Now, for basketball reasons, the Big 10, they should gobble up Kansas because Kansas is a top-notch basketball program. Now, the other team there Obviously, if you're taking Kansas, you want to take Kansas State as well, but Iowa State is a good uh, addition as well because you already have Iowa in the conference. So If you can add Iowa State, you'll have the rivalry against Iowa, but will they take Kansas without Kansas State? I don't know. Now, the Pac-12 has four openings to get to 16. I think Bala definitely goes to the Pac-12, Oklahoma State, Texas Tech, and then TCU, so It's going to come down to, there's going to be one team that's not going to find the home unless they go with, uh, one of these conferences go with an uneven number like 17. Um, But Kansas is definitely going to get scooped up. But whoever takes Kansas, if they don't take Kansas State, Kansas State might get left in the dust or Iowa State might get left in the dust. But if I'm Pac-12, I'm reaching out to Baylor, Oklahoma State, TCU and Texas Tech and saying, come over to the Pac-12. ACC, you take West Virginia, it makes sense. West Virginia is close to the Atlantic coast. And then if you're the Big Ten, man, get University of Kansas for basketball, take Iowa State for that Iowa rivalry, or take Kansas State so you could keep the Kansas-Kansas State rivalry. So it's going to be a very, very exciting few years for college football to see where these teams end up. And at the end of the day, you're going to have four power conferences. You're going to have the SEC, ACC, Big Ten, Pac-12. Everybody else, you're playing for second. And you know what? So be it. That's 16 teams per conference. That's 64 teams. Everybody else, You're playing for second. So be it, you know, and you know, maybe you'll have two college football playoffs. You'll have a college football player for the major conferences and then another college football player for the non-major conferences, similar to what college basketball does. You have the NCAA tournament, then you have the NIT. Why can't college football adapt that situation and have a smaller playoff with bowl games attached for the teams that don't make the college football playoff. It works in basketball. Why can't it work in football? I truly think we will see something like that in the future, but the SEC is stacked, man. You got Texas, who hasn't been great lately, but having the chance to play against Alabama, Auburn, Georgia, having a chance to play in the SEC against that competition. You know, you're going to have guys wanting to go to Texas more than they would in the big 12. And Oklahoma has been a great program on the football side the last few years, making the college football playoff. And this year, a lot of people are picking them to win the whole thing. A lot of people are picking Oklahoma to win the national championship. You got Spencer Rattler, the quarterback, who's the odds-on favorite to win the Heisman. Oklahoma should be good again. Their offense is always electric. So the SEC got that much better. ACC, Pac-12, and Big Ten had to do something. And forming that alliance was that something. All right, this weekend we have All Elite Wrestling All Out, their biggest pay-per-view of the year. Pretty much All Out is AEW's WrestleMania because of the first pay-per-view they ever did all in before AEW was even in existence to show that indie wrestlers could sell out an arena. They could put on a pay-per-view show, and they did. And when that happened, the seeds were planted for All Elite Wrestling. So All Out is a big deal for AEW. And hey, this card looks spectacular. You got MJF versus Chris Jericho. If Jericho loses, he'll never wrestle in AEW again. This feud has been going on for the last six months or so. Jericho made it through the five labors of MJF, and he lost the final match against MJF. But honestly... I truly believe that Chris Jericho will win this match because he'll get his retribution. He'll win because, you know, come on, Jericho's not retiring anytime soon. So Jericho versus MJF, great match. You got CM Punk's return to the squared circle against Darby Allin. That's going to be a fantastic match. CM Punk, anytime he gets in the ring, he can go. Now, it's his first match in seven years. Will he be a little bit rusty? I don't think it will matter because Darby Allen is that good. I think Darby Allen will get it out of him, and I think Darby Allen will cover up that rust if there is rust. And to me, I could see this going either you know anyway. I I could see CM Punk wanting to put Darby Allen over. It's CM Punk's first match in seven years, so you could say, "Oh, I was a little rusty." You'll forgive the loss. He could start a little redemption tour work his way up to the AEW World Championship, or it's a great match, and Sam Punk wins his first match back. So I could see it going either way. Either or, it's going to be a fantastic match. You got Pac versus Andrade El Idolo. I think Andrade wins this match. These two guys can go as well. Like, this card is fucking crazy. These two guys can go. I think Andrade gets the win, and I think he does something with the Lucha Bros. I think Andrade's going to start a stable, get the Lucha Bros in his corner. Maybe Pac will join him as well. You got Kenny Omega versus Kristen Cage for the AEW World Championship. Kenny Omega is winning that. No doubt about it. Kristen Cage just beat Kenny Omega for the Impact World Championship. He's not winning both belts. Kenny Omega is going to continue his reign as the belt collector. Uh, you got Paul White versus QT Marshall. That should be okay. AEW's Women Championship match. Britt Baker versus Chris Statlander. That should be okay. Moxley. He's continuing his tour of Japan. He's fighting Satoshi Kojima. You got Miro versus Eddie Kingston for the AEW TNT Championship. Miro should take that one down. And then the one match that I think will be the show stealer of the night Young Bucks versus the Lucha Bros AEW World Tag Team Championship match in a steel cage. Now, I love the Bucks' run with the the Tag Team Championship. They're playing great heels. It's very fun. It's exciting. It's funny. And I think the Bucks retain. Now, one guy that's not on the card that when I was watching Wednesday night, I said to myself, man, this guy's a fucking superstar. I can't believe that WWE let him walk out the door. Malachi Black. He had that match with Brock Anderson on Dynamite Wednesday, just his entrance with that mask, that that skull mask he wears and That roundhouse kick, he's a powerhouse. Malachi Black is a superstar. The way he's been booked in AEW so far has been amazing. I wish he had a match on this card. Maybe he will. Maybe something will get set up between him and Cody Rhodes um, this week on Dynamite on Rampage. But Malachi Black's going to be a star. And also, a little birdie told me that Daniel Bryan is going to debut at All Out. They were going to save it for Arthur Ashe Stadium in New York when Dynamite comes here on the 23rd, but because of the COVID restrictions that might happen because of the Delta variant, Brian will debut at All Out now, and it'll be interesting to see. Who does he come out? Does he come out after Omega retains the World Heavyweight Championship? Does he come out and rekindle his rivalry on the indie scene with CM Punk? I don't know. Also, another intriguing thing to watch, Adam Cole's contract with WWE ran out on Friday. He's a free agent. WWE just sent out a memo stating that Adam Cole is no longer with the company. Now, does that mean he won't resign with WWE? No, there's still a chance, but I honestly feel he's going to AEW. The reason being is his girlfriend Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, is the AEW Women's Championship champion, and he is really good friends with the Elite, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks. The Young Bucks has teased on Twitter that they were having a seance because they killed Adam Cole off on being the Elite, so they're saying that they're going to revive Adam Cole's ghost and bring him back honestly, it's only a matter of time before Adam Cole debuts for All Elite Wrestling. Will it be at All Out? That would be great, but do you really want to spoil Daniel Bryan's debut with Adam Cole debuting as well? Save it. You know, Save one of them. Save Adam Cole for New York. We'll see what happens, but I truly believe that Adam Cole is coming. He's going to follow Daniel Bryan, but My sources are telling me that Daniel Bryan will debut at All Out. So you can watch All Out Saturday night, September 5th on pay-per-view. It's going to be a great show. Listen, if you're listening to this and saying wrestling isn't cool anymore, I understand the reason why you're saying that. Because WWE has fallen off so much the last few years. Wrestling hasn't been cool. But do me a favor. Rent All Out. Rent the AEW pay per view, and I promise you, you'll be sitting there like, wow, this is attitude era wrestling again. This is the 1990s wrestling again because AEW has taken wrestling to a new level and it's bringing that excitement and that energy back that we had in the late 90s, early 2000s. So, rent all out on Saturday night. All right, and lastly, just talking about golf real quick. The PGA just announced that people who yell Brooksy as in Brooks Koepka to Bryson DeChambeau could be ejected from future PGA tour events. Now, This is ridiculous, okay? People have been screaming things out at PGA Tour events for years. Mashed potatoes, Baba Booey, yada, yada, yada. Now, Bryson DeChambeau has had a boycott of print media. He hasn't spoken to any print media in the past few months because who who knows what? He only talks to PGA broadcast partners Bryson DeChambeau is the biggest baby in professional golf. Now, I'm sure he probably I'm sure when he was playing Patrick Cantley for the six playoff holes uh, this weekend at the BMW Championship, I'm sure a few people called him Brooksy and he went to Monahan and said it got in my head, it it got me messed up, that's why I lost the tournament, yada yada, yada. Listen, this Brooks Bryson feud has been going on all summer. And instead of taking it and running with it, to get more fans, more eyes on the sport, the PGA tour commissioner Jay Monahan is running away from it. Feuds are good for the sport. Tiger vs. Phil. Jack versus Arnold. Now you got Brooks versus Bryson. And instead of taking the feud and putting it on a pedestal and say, oh my God, come watch our sport, watch these two titans of our game go at it, you're running away from it. Bad move, Jay Monahan. Very, very bad move. I don't like it. I don't like Bryson DeChambeau. I never have. I'm a Brooks guy. I'll say it right now, but it's not so much just because I love Brooks, it's because I feel like Bryson is a crybaby and it'll be very very interesting to see how Bryson handles himself at the Ryder Cup in a few weeks because he made the team. The top six players are set in stone. Colin Morikawa, Dustin Johnson, Brooks Kepka, Bryson DeChambeau, Justin Thomas, and Patrick Cantlay. Now, Bryson and Brooks, they're going to be in the team room a lot. They're going to have to get along at some point. So honestly, Bryson, you're going to let this feud ruin the Ryder Cup? USA already has issues with camaraderie and you know team events. Europe has kicked our ass for the past 10, 15 years. So you know what? Get your head in the game. Put all this shit apart because we need camaraderie. We need the team to come together for the Ryder Cup coming up in end of September. Now, Steve Stricker has six captain picks, six spots to fill for the Ryder Cup team. Now, looking at the team right now, looking at the standings, the first three picks, I'm going straight down the line and taking the seventh, eighth, and ninth players for the standings this year. I'm taking Tony Finau, I'm taking Jordan Spieth, and I'm taking Xander Schauffele. After that... I want to see how Patrick Reed plays this weekend at the Tour Championship. If Patrick Reed is 100% healthy, he's on my Ryder Cup team. He's Captain America. You see the way he steps up for these big team events. He's a baller when it comes to team events. I was at the Ryder Cup in 2016, Hazeltine, when USA beat Europe. That Sunday, I followed Rory and Reed, the the singles pairing on Sunday at the Ryder Cup. It was the best golf I ever seen in my life. I'm a big Patrick Reed fan. I've always had been since back in Doral, back I think it was around 2014, 2015, when they interviewed him and he said, I'm a top five golfer on the PGA Tour right now. He has balls. I like Patrick Reed. He's a guy you want in his in your corner. I want Patrick Reed on this team. Um, I also like Daniel Berger. I hope Berger makes the team. and I also want Kevin Kisner on the team because Kevin Kisner is a match play assassin. He's a great putter. Whistling straights is going to be long. You're going to have to drive the ball well. But you know what? In match play, team play, team events, four ball, alternate shot, I like Kisner. He plays well in the match play. He never lost a single point when he was on the President's Cup team back in 2015. I want Kisner on the team. So if I'm Stricker, I'm bringing Finau, Shawfle, Spieth, Reed, Berger, Kisner. I won't be upset if you take... Actually, you know what? I will be upset if you take Webb Simpson. Webb Simpson has had a shot on these teams. I don't want Webb Simpson. If, if you're going to take someone other than Berger, give me Scotty Scheffler. I'll take Scotty Scheffler over Berger. And also, you know Phil Mickelson is going to want a spot on the team. What are you going to do with Phil? He just won the PGA Championship. You know, he's going to talk to Stricker. He's going to want to spot on the team, too. So it's going to be very exciting to see how this plays out over the next few weeks. The Tour Championship is this weekend. It's going to be exciting. The top 30 golfers of this PGA Tour season will battle it out. Patrick Cantlay is starting out in first at 10 under after he beat Bryson DeChambeau in six playoff holes this past weekend at the BMW Championship. So the golf season is over. Next weekend, you know what that means. The Ryder Cup is around the corner and the Ryder Cup is the most exciting event in golf and I'm looking forward to it. All right, folks, that does it for Yo-Yo, it's Digsy's baby, the podcast, episode three. Make sure to like, subscribe, rate, review on Apple Podcast, Spotify, follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and we will see you next week. Yo, yo, it's Stiggsies, baby.